Hey, this is Matt Markin, and welcome to episode 72 of the Adventures in Advising podcast. On today's episode, we welcome back Michael Brody Brashears from University of Southern Indiana and Kevin Thomas from University of Central Arkansas. If you don't already, give us a like and follow on social media at Advising Podcast and subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Here we go with episode 72. Welcome back and happy December. We're in the last month of 2022. And after this episode, we have three more episodes to go as we finish the current run of this podcast. A couple quick announcements. Did you know the 2023 UCAT Annual Conference returns as an in-person event? It'll be on April 3rd and 4th, 2023. Check the link in the show notes for deadlines. Also, the Nakata Region Conferences will be happening in 2023 as well. Registration is open. Check the show notes for more info. Now, let's get to our interview, shall we? On this episode, by popular demand, we brought back two amazing individuals to continue their conversation. So this is part two of that. Uh, Part one was back on episode 61 of the podcast back in June, titled The Ripple Effect of Change. And let me introduce one of them, and that is our guest host today, Kevin Thomas from University of Central Arkansas. Kevin, welcome back. Matt, I'm so glad to be back and guest hosting a second time. One, you said popular demand. I can't believe that that's true. And two, (laughs) that you were like, you know what? We're going to allow you to do it again. But here we are, and uh, we're ready to have a good time. So thanks for having us back, and, and I'm glad to be hosting again. Yeah, so I turned over the interview duties to you, so take it away. All right, very good. Thanks, Matt. Uh, Our guest for the second time, and listen, Brody, I I decided that I wasn't going to do the bio again because I I did go back and and listen to episode 61, and that was like four and a half minutes of bio, and I thought, man, this guy's pretty great, but like he doesn't get it a second time. If you want to hear the full Brody bio, go back to episode 61, which is tremendous, and listen again. But Michael Brody Brochiers is here. He is the Assistant Vice President for Academic Success at the University of Southern Indiana. He's been there for over 15 years now. Look at that, man. 15-year anniversary, November 12th. Congratulations. That's fantastic. They're lucky to have you. Um, Prior roles uh, in advising, he's had at Northern Illinois and Northern Iowa. And again, for the full bio, go to episode 61. Um, because this is a continuation of that conversation. Uh, I think we will be just as engaged and lightful, humorous, uh, and at times probably a little wonky. Um, but we will continue to, to do what we do and, and hope that you enjoy the listen today. Um, so we're recording today, uh, roughly six months later yeah. uh, than we uh, did the last time in June. And, uh, and so how's the fall semester been? Like, what has been something that you've taken away that you've been excited about from this last fall on your campus and things that you all have been doing at USI? Yeah, so I would say there's a lot to be excited about. On the advising advising front, I think it just continues to be thinking about the role that we play in retention and student success. I had a chance to kind of speak to our board of trustees in the fall and our group's done a great job and, and always being able to highlight the impact that advising's having, being able to tell your story to interested stakeholders is, is a real win. And so from my perspective, that was a that was a big accomplishment in the fall for our areas to be able to do that. 
Uh, we are getting ready to uh, experience some change. You know, change is hard. Uh, we we uh, were in the Division of Enrollment Management from 2015 to 2019, and now we're moving back into enrollment management. Uh, we're, we're hiring a vice president for enrollment management. As you know, many, many institutions are facing enrollment concerns. Our institution is not unique in that. And uh, we, we, we will be moving back out of academic affairs into enrollment management. And so kind of handling that, right, massaging that, working with our folks, making sure they understand that the work doesn't really change and that the work is valuable and how we'll fit into this new division uh, has been a, a focus of mine as well. And then I coordinate our UNIV 101 course, and I'm pretty happy about this. We, we have a sister city, New Harmony, Indiana, and we developed a common experience. We sent essentially 1,200 students to New Harmony for this uh, experience as a part of our FYE program, and that went successfully. I feel really good about it. And um, that's kind of what's new in my world, right? The, the Nakata Annual Conference was great. It was great to see folks and be able to do some presentations, to learn some things, to reconnect with folks across uh, the globe and, and really enjoyed Portland a lot. I, I, I know you enjoyed Portland. We hung out quite a bit. It was great, great food. Uh, I got to spend a lot of time with uh, my friend, Gary Kincannon, right? And went to a couple shows and so I, I just had a blast there and, and learned a ton. So I, I'm pretty energized from the fall. That's good. Did you teach this fall? I did teach. Yeah. And so one of my questions I had, right, because in the first podcast, you talked about how teaching keeps you connected with uh, your with students because in, in, in your role as an administrator, sometimes it's, it's not as easy to stay connected. Yeah. And so I, I'm wondering here. Um, with uh, today's college student, if you will, like what were some things that you learned that you weren't necessarily prepared for, for this, this, uh, this upcoming or the the teaching experience you just had? So I teach every year and I I just full disclosure last fall, I I don't know how this happened, but my first year experience course, I think I had 18 students and had to- total four absences the entire 10 weeks, right, during COVID. I had a group that completed every assignment. Like, I don't think I sent a reminder out for anybody turning in late work. It was just an amazing group. And I have, a, I have an amazing group this fall, too, right, no doubt, uh, but a, a greater diversity of student in this semester, right? Even this idea that I've got a couple of students who've said, I'm not really sure college is for me. Plenty of students that are not turning in work, plenty of students that are not doing just the minimal things needed to be successful in a first year experience course. And we use our first year experience course as a real retention tool on our campus. And and when you go to the when you go to the National FYE conferences, they talk a lot about UNIV 101 or first year experience serving as kind of this early warning for how students are performing in other work. And so it's concerning to me, right? I've heard this message in a lot of our other uh, advisors sections. They're speaking to some of the same challenges. And, And I do think at some point in time, what I'm learning is COVID has had a real impact on 
students' ability to kind of handle this stress, to handle being on campus. It has been a challenge. It, and for many of our first-year students, it's it's a real learning curve in terms of getting up to speed and understanding what it's going to take to be successful in college. And so we've spent a lot of time talking about how to help students through that. I don't think we have uh, any magic potion or silver bullet. It's, it's going to continue to be hard work. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Cracking the college admissions code just got easier. I'm Rebecca Gordon, your go-to fictional college admissions counselor for the rich and famous. Tune into The Admissions Game, Satire Edition, and uncover my top secrets for sure-fire Ivy League admission. Ditch the old Photoshop your face onto a water polo hunk trick. We reveal all the latest loopholes. So laugh and learn with The Admissions Game wherever you podcast. Yeah. No, those are good insights. I just, you know, from teaching the courses I've taught in the past, that that flow of each course or each class of students brings something different, a challenge, a learning opportunity. And I think it's always interesting to see how that flow is going, um, especially when we talk about our role in administration and, and being more removed from the student experience on the front line um, than, than most of the folks that we work with on a daily basis are. That's that's exactly right. I agree with you totally, Kevin. No, no doubt. <laughs> Very good. Uh, so you mentioned the annual conference in Portland. Uh, it was fantastic. Learned a lot and went to some really great sessions. I know that you presented uh, several times, um, especially on advising administration um, and uh, and really at the level of position that you're at in, in, in the work that you do. Um, and since the last time we've talked, uh, I will put this plug in. You are a faculty member now for the uh, administrators, advising administrators institute. So this February in Orlando, you'll be uh, joining that faculty. And I know we're glad to have you. That's uh, something that I, get, I have the honor to serve on as well. And so congrats on that uh, new you. opportunity for you. When you were doing the presentations, at, at times there's questions that come from the audience or people that come and talk to you afterwards. And so I'm wondering if there's like a theme that you saw or a primary focus or concern of our colleagues um, throughout the globe and the things that they may have mentioned when we're talking about advising administration and the things that we're facing on our campuses. Well, I definitely think that advisors are feeling the stress of issues like enrollment challenges. Uh, They're feeling the stress. We talked a lot about this maybe in the first piece, right, this idea of be careful what you wish for. You just might get it right. I, I advising is being seen now as, as a high impact initiative to improve retention and student success. And, and people have begun to believe that. And, and so we're not the only people though responsible for that. And, and so a lot of my questions, I think dealt with that. And then, and then you add in, we're asking administrators to do the same things so I, I just had this conversation with a colleague the other day. The work, the work just keeps piling on and people want to be good at the work that they're going to do. They, they want to do a good job, but you get, you get pulled in so many directions. It becomes harder to stay focused on the things that are most important. 
And so as an administrator, one of the things that I think about a lot is keeping advisors and my direct reports engaged and asking the right questions and making sure that you're spending the time necessary to, to get folks and can keep folks focused on the tasks that are the most important. I am trying to help advisors deal with the frustrations that come along with added workload, uh, increased stress, you know, more challenging student situations. And so a lot of the questions that I saw at these conferences, how do I help my advisors be engaged? How do I keep advisors from being burned out? How do I, how do I really focus in on the work without, you know, just wanting to pull my hair out? I have had no success keeping hair where it's supposed to be, but, but I understand those frustrations, right? And so I, I think about meaning making a lot. I think about happiness a lot and we're not wired to be happy all the time, but there are things that I think as administrators, we can do to help folks feel like they're still making a difference and to help folks still feel like the work is really important. And I think that that's a theme that's really important across the globe now and and in our association and in our profession uh, is keeping advisors motivated to do the work, right? That's essential to student success. For sure. You mentioned uh, that it's constant, right? It's like constant. The, the work that we do is constant. And I was talking with our good colleague, uh, Jessica Staten from IU uh, the other day. And uh, and I told her, I'm, 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 I'm like just going to use this phrase nonstop, right? So after Thanksgiving timeframe and through the end of the fall semester, I'm now referring to as the December blitz. Right. Yeah. And the December blitz is all of the things that are going on, making students get registered, seeing them finals week, commencements, parties, cookies, retirements, all the things that come up. Right. That it's just it's just nonstop. But our world is so much that all the time, even though in this in this time frame that we're in in the fall, it feels even a little bit more condensed. Um, so I, I guess my question is, like, how are you balancing that? personal and professional aspect of what you do? Um, and, and how do you encourage that, especially as an administrator in the professionals around you, uh, just to, to, to find those balances in, in what they're doing, especially in, in times like right now. Um, but in, in the advising profession and student success, it feels like always. I think with the folks that I work with, I've really tried to embrace this notion of flexibility. You know, uh, people are professionals and I like to treat people like they're professionals. I think that's really important. And so I've I've whenever possible have encouraged vacation time whenever possible. If, if a person contacts me and says, hey, Brody, I, I think I really need to work from home today. Uh, we, we do have some policies in place on our campus, but and, and I adhere to those policies most certainly. But but. When we can provide flexibility, I think that that does help us, right? It, it, when folks feel like um, they're trusted to do the work and that they, we, and that we know that they've done extra work, right? That, that flexibility feels like the least we can do. Uh, in terms of just overall balance, you know, I continue to encourage learning whenever possible. I know I send a lot of articles to my group and some of them really have to do with personal balance and, or I'll send podcasts that, you know, like 
I was talking to you yesterday about fresh air, that, that fresh air segment on retirement. You know, those are really interesting things that can get people to kind of think about their their lot in this world differently. And I think whenever you can read an article that kind of makes you think a little bit or whether you can listen to a podcast that makes you maybe re-examine how you view your role in this world, it's really important. Uh, I, I, tr- I try not to. So personally, I try not to take work home with me. That is not always possible, obviously, in, in my role. But for the most part, you know, I'm still exercising pretty regularly. I'm, I haven't eaten as well as I need to in the last year. So I've, you know, my, I'm a runner, right? So 10 pounds makes a difference. And it doesn't, I'm a big guy. So 10 pounds doesn't seem like a lot. But for me, I know the difference when I'm out running. So I can be better at certain things. And then, you know, I'm spending time with my family. I'm still into records. You know, we talked a little bit about kind of my obsession with vinyl here all of a sudden when COVID hit. That has become something that I spend a lot of time reading about, watching YouTube videos, just the fun stuff. And then I read a ton, not books per se, but anything related to higher education, I'm reading it. And and I encourage that. And I feel like that from a balanced perspective, that's really useful because it helps me. It gives me ideas, ways to be more efficient, ways to be better at my job as a supervisor and, and as an administrator. I, and then I talk to colleagues across the country kind of to, to get their feel for how they're managing these kinds of challenges as well. You know, you and I are, we, we talk at least once a week, I think, for the most part. And uh, I learn a lot from those conversations and they help me a ton. And I think having people in your world that you can connect with that know the kinds of things you're going through are really important. My role is kind of unique on my campus. I don't have a ton of people in my space, right, and that, that I automatically can go to to talk about these problems. Uh, and when you get into positions like that, that can be hard. It can be challenging. And so I think having those networks is also another thing that's really important. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. You know, when we were in Portland, the, the, one of the conversations I felt like just kept coming up was disparity in pay, right? Not necessarily by administrators, but like you have advising positions that are low 30s to, to mid to high 50s, sometimes 60s, depending on area of the country. And, and the positions themselves are similar. The pay is more regional um, to where it seems to be. But we often talk about the benefits that come with the, the, the pay that's there. And I, I think if there's another part of what you're talking about is that in our jobs, we're often earning vacation and sick time. Yeah. Utilize those things. Yes, right? absolutely. Uh, I, I, the, the folks that every once in a while you interact with that I have a badge of honor that's like, oh, I lost days last year because I didn't take them. 
That's terrible. I don't like hearing that at all. Don't, don't do that, right? Like, like again, this is part of your benefits package of being an employee. This is part of your time to get away and, and get out and, and making sure that you're in an environment where you can do those things. And, and that's an environment that, that you want to be in if you're able to take those days and utilize that time. And, uh, you know, if you've got the flu, be out with the flu. If, you've, if, you, if you're not feeling well, be out. If you want to go on a vacation, schedule a vacation. Like, it's the time to do those things for that balance, too. Yeah, I've, I I don't know that I would wear this as a badge of honor, but I don't I don't think there's been a time in my 15 years here where I've said no to a vacation request, or I've said no to a person who said I, I need to be out today because of this or this. And some I think there are some people who say Brody, you you do need to say no sometimes related to those kinds of requests. And look, I think most of our advisors know that. You shouldn't be requesting vacation during orientation timeframes. I mean, we I don't get those kinds of requests, but there's never really a time where I haven't felt like if a person requests vacation, they don't des- that they don't not deserve that time. And right. I, I think as an administrator too, it, it is important to it is important to model this idea that our jobs are important and they're extremely valuable, but they don't they don't trump our personal well-being, right? They're not, we're, we, we are changing lives. And in some instances, we're saving lives, but not in the medical doctor sense, not in a super crisis moment in, in most instances, right? And so I think it is important, like you talked about there, and it was something that I kind of missed when you asked that question is, is to encourage the use of vacation time, mental health days, sick days, when, when appropriate. And for me, that's almost always, <laughs> yeah. right? In uh, our conversation in the summer, you mentioned that um, one of the most important parts of your job is to make sure that advisors have the tools to be successful, that you're helping to aid in their relationship growth, eliminate roadblocks. I think all of that is true in the role that you have with the people that work for you. I guess I'm curious how in your role you supervise up, you coach up, you teach up to those that you work for um, or those that are um, in higher levels organizationally than you, than you may be. And, and you mentioned that uh, being an administrator is harder than ever in, in, in our conversation in the summer. And I agree. And, and so I think that no, no matter what role you're in, no matter who's listening today, that uh, ability to coach up, teach up, mentor up, educate in that way is is a pretty powerful one. So how do you do that effectively in your role? Well, I want to first preface by saying I've been really fortunate uh, in my career in most instances, if not all instances in my professional life, my supervisor or supervisors have been people who I think get it. They understand the work that we're doing. So that's made it a little bit easier but, but I think it, it really comes down to constant communication. It comes down to sharing what you believe are the differentiators in the work that advisors are doing and how that work is making a difference. Uh, data, I, I think telling that story is tremendously important. So I think putting people that you trust in front of those folks too, right? I've had a couple of directors over the years present at the board of trustees you know, so you talk about internal stakeholders and external stakeholders as well. So I think 
sharing that message with people like the board uh, who uh, really kind of serve as the, the driving force for our strategic goals and strategic plan. And then you talk about the people that you're going to work for. So, you know, I meet pretty regularly with my supervisor. I, I tend to believe that 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 honesty is the best way to kind of approach our communication piece, right? So if if we're feeling a crunch, I'm able to, to articulate that. I, I feel like I've got a good enough relationship where that's important. If there are reasons why we aren't being successful, I'm able to kind of articulate that. And then I I have data and and information that's going to help tell that story, right, in real meaningful ways. Um, and it, it is... You know, it is about letting folks know that what what advising really is and what it isn't. It is about letting folks know how we're doing the work uh, in the trenches. You know, I'm constantly letting my supervisor know, hey, this is how we're dealing with the not registered list. This is how we're dealing with it by unit. This is how we're dealing with it uh, as a collective. These are the activities and initiatives that we've put into place to make this as effective as possible. I share that information for the most part every every week, every other week to our deans, to our uh, executive director of enrollment. And so I think that communication piece is really important and, and helping people understand the work that advisors are doing is critical. You know, we, we, we do the surveys, you know, and surveys are just one tiny form of the assessment piece, but we share those results with uh, our folks on, on a pretty regular basis. I try to articulate and meet with each of the deans from time to time, uh, usually at least once a semester to kind of highlight the work that the advising centers are doing. You know, what's working well in your college? What isn't working well? How can we be more helpful to the overall success of students in the college of? You name it, right? right. And so I, I think that those kinds of relationships are really important and they, they help uh, a couple of they help in a couple of ways. One is they help you kind of understand, hey, I have a real important role in all of this. But then they help the the community as well because uh, they need to understand the the important work that advise the important work that advisors are doing and the importance of advising uh, on all of those. You know, our strategic plan has those metrics, and we got to meet those metrics. And if you're not meeting those metrics, how did advising help us get close to those metrics? How could they help us get better in those metrics? And so I, I think all of that is really, from my perspective, an important part of my role, right? And so that supervising up is about constant communication and telling a really good story. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on all those fronts. And then I also think sometimes it's about the audience too, right? Like the way I communicate with my supervisor, as far as information provided, is different than the president. Yes. Right? Like president i'm going to give a page to if anything on a handout and provost sometimes wants more than that yeah right like in and deans you know if you're given general information they generally want to know how their college is doing and maybe sometimes how their college is doing yeah. against the other colleges yeah. and you know so they think the audience plays a factor in that too yeah you get 10 minutes with the board you get an hour with the provost right you get you get 20 minutes with the program directors and department chairs. And if you go to a, if you go to a Dean's council meeting, you might get 30 minutes, right? It is even just the time you have kind of impacts the message that you're going to send. There's no question about it or the questions you're going to ask or the questions you're going to take. 
So uh, you mentioned that you are you you various people that you look at, right? Like that you look towards and you have conversations with, and you know, you and I talk once a week, that type of thing, and just you know, talk about whatever's going on in life. Sometimes that's cardinals, sometimes it's random things, sometimes it's higher education, a lot of times it's a job. A lot of times it is. So when you think about these conversations and the, the things you're doing with folks and, and, and all that that's going on, like what excites you about the profession? Like you mentioned retirement in an early answer. And, and, and that's one of those that's uh, interesting, depending on where you're at, right? Like in right. life uh, is, is what, what, what's coming ahead of us. But like what excites you about the profession until you hit that retirement um, time frame? And then I guess the, the second part of this is um, who do you look to and, and see like uh, what, what, what are the people or the institutions that you look at and you go, okay, if this institution is doing it, I know it's the right way. Like, you know, who are your go-tos in those areas to, to just say, yeah, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We can look at folks that are doing these things really well. Like what, what, what were those folks and who are those folks and institutions that you, you would go to? So I, I break that into up into kind of metrics, right? Like I got my chops, I got my chops working with undecided students. So when I think about our work with undecided students here on this campus, for example, you know, my good friend, Dave Marchesani at at the university of Northern Iowa is somebody that I really trust and respect a lot. You know, Kathleen Shea Smith, Carrie Kincannon, David Spite, right? Whatever they're talking about, uh, they've been really involved in that exploratory advising area. And those are spaces and or places, right? So whatever's happening in Oklahoma, I kind of pay attention to. In the state here, you know, I'm a a graduate. And uh, I got my undergraduate degree from Indiana University. My good friend and colleague, Dan Turner, now is overseeing their university division area. That's a space where I look at what they're doing with their exploratory students a lot. You know, so when I think about, when I think about that piece, those are kind of, those are kind of my Oregon state, right? Carrie up there, David Spite in his, in his spot. I I know that he's in the California system, right? All of those places are places that uh, I look to. When I was in region five, Kent state was doing a lot of great stuff with our our exploratory students, and they've got a really good kind of connection. Um, and then I've I've really tried to connect on the career advising side. And, and a good friend of mine who uh, was the director of the Career Exploration Center up at Wisconsin Madison, Jonathan Ferguson, he worked for me at Northern Illinois University. They have a really good program there, right? So I those are some of my places when I think about undecided and exploratory. From a from a an administrator perspective. I think about a lot of times either past supervisors or current supervisors that I think just have their stuff together. You know, one of my, my first supervisor here at the University of Southern Indiana, Dr. Brian Poser, he's now the president at Lake Erie College. And he's a person I'll talk to related to supervision and engagement. He's just a person that I really trust and respect. Gene Nybauer, who was my former associate director at Northern Iowa, is somebody I haven't talked to in a while, but you know, right before she retired in the early 2010s was the first time we kind of moved into enrollment management. She was a great person to talk to about that transition because we had gone through some similar transition at, at, uh, at Northern Iowa when I was there. And, you know, so you find those folks, right? You find those people. I mean, obviously you and, 
you know, lots of the people that we've presented with, Karen, uh, Archambault, former president of Nakata, Aaron Justina, former president of Nakata, Cecilia Oliveras. I mean, uh, I mean, it's a good group to be connected to. I feel fortunate that you have those voices, folks that are experts in their respective areas that can be of real help to you. Uh, Tara Warden at the University of Cincinnati, right? Like these are all people that are doing great work on the administrative side. And and I I, I seek them out whenever I need something. That's not always. And then on campus, I have great people. You know, one of my former supervisors, who's a colleague now, the associate provost, uh, Dr. Shelley Blunt, she's a great friend. Our dean of students is somebody that I, I've really connected with. She just joined us a couple of years ago, Dr. Jennifer Hammett. You know, she's kind of a national expert in student life and Title IX work. And so these are just folks that I think finding your people is important, right? That's one message that I would make is if you don't have that on your campus, you've got to find those people in other places. And I've just been really lucky to, to have great people to kind of help me through some of these turbulent uh, and, and challenging times in higher ed. When you're reaching out or when you're looking at institutions, let me ask it this way. When you're looking at institutions, is it through the people or like, are you visiting websites and social media and like, how, how, how's that going or how are you doing that? I think it's all of those things, right? Like I think, uh, you know, I'll give you an example. IUPUI did a great session uh, at last year's regional conference about how they're using Instagram. And you think, God, that's kind of small scale, but it really was a pretty amazing look at how academic advisors are engaging with students in spaces where students are. You know, so that was a session that as an administrator, you think, "Ah, should I go to this? Should I not go to this? But I took a ton from that session and they did an awesome job of kind of creating an Instagram page to do the presentation, which was, I thought, really, really innovative and interesting. Um, I, you know, sometimes it's about a concept. We, we had a colleague of mine uh, here at USI, one of our directors, won the best of region in region five last year, presenting on how to take a framework from a Gretchen Rubin book who's written the happiness project and how to integrate that in terms of our work with students. So, you know, sometimes it's a concept, sometimes it's a, it's a website, sometimes it's a person, you know, if I have a specific problem, maybe that, you know, I think is consistent with say a regional uh, four-year institution, it might be a specific person at an institution where I'm familiar with that person, but in other instances, it might just be, Hey, I've got a problem, and who I, who do I think is the best person to solve that problem? So I try to be strategic when that's the case, but but I'm also open to kind of learning and seeing how things work. Uh, and so sometimes that means going into spaces that you don't normally visit. Yeah, no, I I, I agree completely. It, and I guess for listeners today, I would just encourage to use the avenues that are there, right? Like whatever's there for the interactions that you're having. Um, you know, you see people at conferences, don't be afraid to contact them afterwards. Don't be afraid to go up and talk to them and ask questions that are on your mind. Um, follow them on social media, you know, whatever it may be. Um, uh, a couple weeks back, you mentioned uh, Karen Archambault, like she and I did a uh, presentation for a class where uh, a class for Dr. Pete Sasso down at uh, Stephen F. Austin University. 
Yeah. Uh, and awesome. we, were, we were doing that presentation. And afterwards, you know, I said, you, we're people that you can contact afterwards and ask these questions too. And had one student reach out and we've been back and forth on a couple of things that we've been talking about. You know, it's just when the opportunities there connect in that way, I think those can be really powerful things because um, the relationships you build can be so critical to some periods of time that you go through as a, as a professional and as an administrator. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's no doubt about that. And I like, I like those opportunities too, right? Uh, you know, I forgot to mention that I'm doing the Emerging Leaders Program for the first time uh, this year. I'm starting my first two-year tenure as a mentor, and that's been really exciting, getting to know another another person, right, who's doing this work, and I'm learning from her as much as she's learning from me. It's been really a lot of fun. We've talked about uh, a concept called job crafting, and we're talking about how do we maybe present on this or write about this. And so I think about all of those, like that, that's not something when I thought about doing the mentoring program that I thought would come out of this, but that's amazing. She's like, Hey, do you want to think about doing something like this? And I'm like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Let's do it. Right. So sometimes it's just, I, I say this a lot. I should say no more, but sometimes yes is the right answer. Right. right. You know, Yes is the right answer a lot of times. Experiences can mold us in really interesting ways. And you never know when you give something a chance, whether that's something that you're doing on a personal level versus something that you're doing at a professional level. Sometimes saying yes, like I know sometimes people say, hey, I don't think I'm ready for this. Yeah, I bet you are. <laughs> and if you say yes, you're going to figure that out really right. fast. Uh, yeah. and, and there has to be support there, right? Like if you're a supervisor, and you're working with somebody who, and you're encouraging maybe an extra step or kind of moving out of a comfort zone, uh, there's got to be support there. But sometimes yes is the right answer. Uh, so I want to ask about it being an administrator and your role. And I'm going to use the framing of doing versus dreaming. Um, and you can take that and say the work versus the vision, you know, whatever you want to use it as. Um, but like in your role, when, as you mentioned, there's so much work going on. There's so many things that are, that are on your plate every day. How do you balance the doing versus dreaming, uh, in your role and, and, and how do you manage that on, and, and on a daily basis? Yeah, man, that is hard. <laughs> you know, uh, one of my least favorite things to do is signing my name to forms. Right? I do a lot of that uh, in my work. Uh, you, it is, it is a balance. Uh, we've been pretty lucky the last 10 years or so with the strategic planning processes. We've been through three strategic planning iterations. And I would tell you that in the first one in 2010, that's where the creation of the advising centers came from. And so that's a big dream. It's high impact, high work, right? Like it's a big project. It's going to be, uh, it's going to take a lot of people to do the work. And so you do that as part of the first strategic plan. And then the st second strategic plan comes and you're not quite done with that project. And so you're still doing it, but you're also thinking, what can this look like? Uh, and then in the third strategic plan, we're connecting kind of that the creation of those centers to say, for example, 
retention rates and student success rates. So you have to continue to kind of think about how does advising best serve students in this place? And you can't just do that by doing the work, right? So I would tell you that I've always, I've been in constant conversation about models and structures with folks. And even on this campus, I'm, I'm in a group right now. And, and, and I think this group's probably going to continue to make really dreamlike recommendations, which are maybe we should professionalize advising through the four years uh, throughout the process. Right now, our advising centers primarily serve students in the first couple of years. Um, we, we pitched this at the first iteration of the creation of the centers, and there was a lot of resistance to that. And faculty are incredibly important to the success of our students on our campus as well. But what if that role looked different? So we're starting to ask those questions. So even when you're doing, I think the how do we do better is really the dreaming component of that, right? And so I say this a lot, even in individual advisors, right? I've never met an advisor that has told me, hey, I'm not very good at my job. I'm really, you know, most most advisors think they're pretty good at it. Right. But we can all get better at it. Right. And so that's where the dreaming comes into place, the training and the development. And maybe that's even just better doing rather than dreaming. But I think when you're doing, you are also visioning ways in which things could look different or be more effective or uh, more impactful to the institution, to the individual units, to the actual individual advisor uh, as well. Right. Absolutely. I agree. I hope that was a good, good enough answer. Yeah. Well, I didn't try to skirt it. I mean, visioning is hard because there's so many moving parts. And, and I would say, right. If you've read anything at all, I mean, look, we don't move at the speed of light in higher ed, right? So change lots of times is takes time. It's a hard push, right? It takes a lot of effort and there are lots of partners. It's a little bit different than industry in some ways. It's a little bit different than some of our other institutions in many ways. And so you can be you can be doing and visioning at the same time, and that visioning just takes forever to get there. But you just can't stop, right? Like you got you got to keep thinking about it in in ways, in ways that really focus in on the what is possible, yeah. what what's the potential, how could it be better? No, I I I vision so many things in a like in the percentage of our time that we have to give, right? And I would so that's the thing is like on any given day that balance of doing and dreaming might be 90, 10, 20, right? Like it just, it fluctuates. And I think as administrators, when it becomes too heavy on particular areas, like, and all of a sudden you're like, you know what? I've been doing 98% of the time and dreaming 2% of the time that you get hit with like a ton of bricks. It's like, Oh, I kind of forgot about what we're, where we're moving forward, what we're doing. And and so that balance is hard because you don't want to lose that. Um, but that I just think the various flows of the year are often part of that conversation. Yeah. You, so the other thing that kind of comes along with this, I, I, I fear that sometimes this honesty is, is not, not good for my own well-being. But some days I just think, God, I'm not as good at certain things as I used to be because of the work, because of the work. Right. Well, isn't that interesting to say out loud? But because the work's coming at you in so many different ways or because maybe um, 
you've proven successful in a new task, all of a sudden that new task becomes a task that fits into your job description in ways that you didn't automatically anticipate. And that impacts all of the other tasks that need to happen. So I sometimes think as an administrator, I'm better at a lot of the things that I've done, but in other ways, maybe I'm not quite as good as what I used to be in, in other other realms. And that's difficult to stomach, right? There has to be there has to be a reluctance to accept, but I think there has to be an honesty with yourself, even as an administrator, that when things change, it's difficult to be it's difficult to be on top of everything all of the time, right? So certain things may may become less the do, right, and more trust the people that are doing it. And other things may become, I got to be more involved in this specific piece. And that's, that's hard. It's a hard, it's a hard piece to deal with as an administrator. But I I think it's something that as I talk to other administrators across the country, we're all kind of trying to tackle. I agree. No, I I agree completely. All right, man. We're to, to your favorite part. It's It's lightning round. All right. Let's now, I'd like to reflect upon the last lightning round that we did. Um, this time, I'm for sure not asking you how long it takes you to get ready in the morning. That one seemed to trip you up. So we're not going there. Uh, I'm also not asking why we can't tickle ourselves. You thought that one was weird. Yeah. Um, I would like to point out that you were 100% correct in the Cardinals finishing first and then 100% wrong and then winning the World Series. So you, okay. did, you did miss out on those uh, from the last lightning round. Um, so okay, we, we, not bad, right? Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and get started here with some fun ones. Uh, best television show of all time. Good God. Seinfeld. That's an answer. The West Wing was also an acceptable answer. The best <laughs> podcast you listened to in 2022. I, if I if I don't say Adventures in Advising, I feel like I'm going to be in deep trouble. Uh, no, <laughs> I, look, I, I love I, I listen to The Daily a lot. I listen to Song Exploder a lot. Uh, both of those, I listen to Fresh Air a lot. Those are all podcasts that I love uh, and, and things that I, I pay attention to a lot. The Inside Higher Ed podcast has been pretty uh, helpful, I think, overall, right? If you're, if you got a chance to listen to that podcast, I've, uh, they, they've talked a lot about uh, return on investment, a lot about, um, you know, the value of a college education. And just generally, I have found those conversations to be really useful in the work. Uh, but those are three or four that I've I've really dug a lot. Check them out, folks. Check them out. Uh, you mentioned earlier you become a vinyl guy. Your favorite purchase in 2022 on the vinyl side of things? Yeah, I love the Plains record. I saw them in Portland with my good friend Carrie Kincannon, their second show ever. Uh, these two kind of indie rock folks made kind of an indie country record, and it's great. And then the Micaiah McRaven record is a, a new jazz record that I'm super stoked about. Those are probably my two favorite of the year. Talking or texting? Oh, texting. But talking is a close second. I mean, I, I like both. Fair enough. Best concert in 2022 that you went to? Uh, I just saw Guster a couple weeks ago. I mean, they're my favorite American band. They're awesome. But that, that plane show was unbelievable. So I, I think that's my favorite show. That's good because I was going to revisit later on your sign off was Gusters for Lovers. Um, the uh, nickname, listen, this is a hard one, right? Because you are uh, Michael Brody. Um, but did you have a nickname that you or your parents or friends used to call you as you were growing up that you're okay with saying in public? Yeah. 
Uh, my dad used to call me stretch because I grew really fast, kind of in the seventh or sixth, seventh, eighth grade, right? Like I was a little round guy and then I became a big, tall string bean. Uh, the human garbage disposable was an uh, disposal was another nickname that my family had for me. Those are, those are two that are, uh, that they're safe enough, I think. All right. Would you rather be able to speak in every language in the world or be able to talk to animals? <laughs> <laughs> that is easy. I am an animal lover and I would much rather be able to talk to animals. It would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Cake or pie? Both. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Favorite number? I like 13. Everybody hates on 13. My number, my 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 basketball number was uh, fifty three, and I always kind of liked that number too for whatever reason. Uh, but thirteen is kind of the the number I like the most. If you could push a button and make everyone in the world seven percent happier, but it would also put a worldwide ban on hairstyle products, would you push it? Absolutely. <laughs> right. Me too. Most hairstyle products are bad anyway. They're not good for you. Yeah. Are reindeer real creatures? Yes. Do you like the word dapper? Absolutely. Is Jimmy Kimmel funny? I think so. But I have enjoyed, I enjoyed him a lot more when he was talking about those issues related to his son. I don't know. I mean, I would cry every time he did those things. And I'm not, and, and Jimmy Kimmel has kind of a sordid past too, but like I, I but I, he's evolved, I think. Uh, but I do think he's funny. Yeah. Sorry. Top three traits that make up a good administrator. Uh, boy, that's a hard one. We went from fun to super hard. You're uh, welcome. Uh, I, I think you you got to be available and accessible. You, you need to you need to work hard, right? And you do need to have some visioning, right? You have to you have to be able to kind of see the bigger picture. All right. Who inspires you? Ah. Uh, my mom's had a rough go the last couple of years and she is, she's really doing a, an amazing job, right? Uh, your parents are both, both my parents are really amazing. Uh, my dad's been through a lot here the last couple of years. I, they inspire me. My, my wife and kids inspire me, right? Like, you know, they're both, they're, they're all three just much better than I am, right? Like, <laughs> They're, they're just really, really special folks, all of them. I don't know how they put up with me. Well, that's a, that's a great answer. That's a great answer. Way to go, Mom. Um, okay, so we're, we're, we're nearing the end of our time, and uh, I don't have any other lightning round questions, but I wanted to end, end on this, uh, this note. Uh, this is likely um, because, uh, as folks are aware from previous uh, versions, the last uh, – one of the last episodes of the uh, Adventures in Advising podcast. So as you reflect upon uh, the time of listening or being on the show, um, you know, any just thoughts on the profession and advising and what, what this podcast has really done in that period of time or that you've been able to gain from it um, that you'd like to share with our audience today? Yeah. You, boy, Nakata, right. I think just as an association, the, the people, is what I really would want to reflect on, right? Just the value of the relationships that I've been able to develop through this association, through the, uh, the, 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 the knowledge that I've been able to gain through this podcast, right? Like it's just, it's so inspiring. And so uh, 
it just kind of warms my heart, right? To know that there are people across this country that are just as passionate about as advising as you and I are. And, and that, you know, sometimes we get to see them in person and other times we have to interact through social media, but I, I think it's a special, special profession. And I, and I think about the, the countless thousands, hundreds of thousands of students that have been impacted by academic advisors. Uh, it, it's really pretty amazing. Uh, just overall. I, I mean, I, that sounds kind of corny, but it's just true, right? I'm not the professional I am without Nakata. I'm not. Uh, I'm not the person I am without Nakata, right? And at the end of the day, I'm pretty thankful for that, right? And pretty thankful for people like Matt Markin, who, you know, this is a pretty. I, I mean, it's a pretty innovative way, you know, to kind of use technology. And we've got lots of people who've been involved in the technology piece, right? You know, so Sarah Howard and John Souter and the, the Cunninghams, Nakata was doing some work and Lee and Gary just retired, right? And they've been kind of involved in that. So, but but I'm thankful for, for Matt, right? And for this podcast, because it's just a different way to kind of get this out and about. And so I think anytime, anytime we can kind of think about innovative ways to share the work and the impact of the work, it, it's really awesome. So that's my answer. Yeah. I, and, and I would echo uh, the countless hours that I've spent listening to said podcast. And, you know, most of the time it's on a treadmill or walking outside or doing something. And, and uh, the amount of good that's come from those ideas that are out there, like somebody will come on and be like, I don't know what I'm really going to gain from this particular guest this week because the roles are so different and sure enough, I'll be listening and all of a sudden an idea comes up and I'm like, ah, type it into my notes real quick here. And yes. so I don't forget that idea. And, and it's those type of things that really came up over the uh, years that this has been on and we've been able to listen. And I know that he's going to continue on, but um, I, I appreciate the opportunity to learn in that way because you're, like you said, it's just a different way to engage a different way to uh, be a part of the community that we uh, we both enjoy so very much and that we both think of so highly. And so uh, it's been a great time to do that. Um, okay. As we finish, what is the best way for folks to get a hold of you, Brody, if they'd like to do so? Uh, emails easy, mbroshears at usi.edu. Um, that's the easiest way. I am on Facebook. Uh, so that's another good way. I'm on Instagram. That's another good way. Uh, my Facebook is Michael Brochiers, not Brody Brochiers. So don't get don't get tripped up there. But my Instagram is Brody Brochiers. So that's kind of different. But all you're going to get confusing for everybody. Yeah. All you're going to get there are just food pictures and record pictures. And Listen, your food pictures are tremendous. It makes me think that I need to be wherever you're at at that particular <laughs> moment. So thanks for that. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks for being a guest with us today, uh, Brody. And uh, until next time. Absolutely. Thanks for coming back on as a guest host, Kevin and Brody. Always enjoy listening to your advice and your experience. And that does it for episode 72. Check back for our last December episode of 2022 with episode 73. Take care and keep advising. Oh.